Tonight, another cold case from the Metro Police Homicide Files. It's a murder from 1973. Welcome to the Searching for Closure podcast. Shortly after 11 p.m. on August 22, 1972, 17-year-old Elizabeth Flannery had returned home from her friend's house. After she got home, she told her mom she was going for a little bike ride. As she was riding her bicycle through a pedestrian railroad underpass on Highway 51 on the north side of Portage, she was viciously attacked. The unidentified man dragged her 30 feet from the sidewalk and up a hill before he stabbed her over 30 times in the back, neck, chest, and face. About an hour and a half later, an operator at the sewage treatment plant was called out to repair a sewage lift pump. That worker, Herbert Jones, first saw the light on Elizabeth's bicycle as he drove by. Then, he noticed her lean on the sidewalk. She barely managed to lift an arm to wave for help. Police were able to determine that she had not been sexually assaulted. She described her attacker as being around 19 or 20, with bushy, medium-length, reddish-blonde hair, and being at least 5 foot 8 and 165 pounds. Just like Tina, her killer has never been caught and there have never been any new leads. So why am I talking about this case? Now, besides the fact that this young girl was stabbed over 30 times, and that it was 7 months before Tina was stabbed, besides that, there aren't a lot of similarities. Portage is almost 3 hours northwest of Racine. Elizabeth was not murdered, and she was not left nude. She also didn't share any of the physical characteristics of Tina. But... There is something. There are a few reasons why I'm covering this case on my final case file. Now, I won't get into any more details than that, but it did strike my curiosity. Elizabeth is still alive and well, and I actually found her email address and reached out to her to see if I could talk to her about the case, about Tina's case, and perhaps share a few photos with her that might jog some memories of her attacker. But that was three weeks ago, and I have still not heard back from her. Another reason I'm covering Elizabeth's story is to remind everyone that killers don't always just stay local. A lot of them travel, and many of them only prefer to kill outside of their own comfort zone. Take Israel Keys, for example, the Alaskan serial killer who targeted random women between 1996 and 2012. Three women have been confirmed as victims, but it's believed that he killed at least eight, if not hundreds of women. You see, Keyes would travel extensively, planting murder kits for him to go and dig up later. He never was linked to any of the crimes before his confessions. All the murders were completely random. He would just fly from Alaska to, like, Chicago. Then he would take a rental car to New York. Then he would take a train down to Miami just to dig up a murder kit in Miami, find a random stranger, and kill her. It completely threw investigators off. And if he'd not made a mistake and murdered a woman in his hometown of Alaska, he might still be out there killing. 
On February 1st of 2012, Keyes kidnapped an 18-year-old woman while she was working at a coffee booth in Anchorage, Alaska. After sexually assaulting her, he killed the young woman and left her body in his shed while he went to New Orleans before departing on a two-week cruise in the Gulf of Mexico. When Keyes returned to Alaska, he took a picture of the dead girl, along with a four-day-old issue of the local newspaper, and left the photo in the park, demanding a ransom. To make the girl look like she was still alive, he sewed her eyes open. It's a very chilling photo, and once you know it's dead, you just can't look at it the same again. It's available on the internet if you want to Google it, but I highly suggest you don't. Now, after a month after kidnapping the girl and murdering her, he was back on the move. The FBI tracked the girl's cell phone and credit cards and ultimately arrested Keyes in Texas. He confessed to all the murders, but under one condition. He wanted police to keep his name out of the newspapers. See, he was worried about his young daughter reading about it. Kind of twisted that this monster didn't care about random women, random daughters, random mothers, yet he cared about what his daughter read. I don't think it was so much sheltering his daughter, but rather a selfish ego thing. He wanted his daughter to see him as a good man and remember him as such, not as a sadistic serial killer. On December 2nd, 2012, Key slit his own wrist and hung himself inside his own cell. The world may never know how many women he actually murdered. But back to Elizabeth. The main reason I'm talking about her case on today's case file is because originally detectives suspected that she had been attacked by the same man who murdered 18-year-old Christine Rothschild in Madison on May 26, 1968. And that case is going to be the starting point for season three. Eight women, all murdered between 1968 and 1984. Some people believe they're all killed by one man, an unknown serial killer. Now, I'm not going to get into any more details on today's episode because I need to leave you in a bit of suspense for the next season. I'm going to be taking a little bit of time off to finalize all the research. Working on all these case files has kind of pushed season three to the back burner. So I need to take some time to get everything straightened out. When I return, every week I will cover a different woman's unsolved murder. And after I present the stories of all eight women, I'm going to cover all possible known suspects. And once I have laid all my cards out on the table, I'm going to give my analysis on whether or not I believe any or all of them were connected. But most importantly, how do they relate to Tina? Now remember, I put that poll out before I started doing these case file episodes and I asked people, do you want me to only focus on Tina? Do you want me to do a different case altogether or focus on a different girl every episode? This is all three of those rolled into one season. It's basically what I've been doing all along. You know, sharing the sad story of a girl's young murder and then seeing if it has any resemblance of Tina's. Except with season three, all the murders might be connected to Tina, and they might all be tied to the same serial killer. If it's possible that whoever attacked Elizabeth also murdered Tina, 
then it's completely possible that this unknown serial killer has killed at least nine women, tried to kill a 10th victim. And that's not including all the other unsolved homicides I've covered in the past 20 some episodes. He might be one of the most prolific serial killers in the history of this country. That's all coming in a little over a month. August 26th, maybe? I don't know. You'll have to pay attention on social media. That's where I will announce when I'm returning. In the meantime, I will still be active on social media. You can follow me on the three major social media networks on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My handle is at Closure Podcast. You can also participate in the discussion in our Facebook group, which is now open to the public. That can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash searching for closure. All these links along with newspaper clippings and official merchandise can be found on the website searchingforclosure.com. I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of advertisements, but please visit my sponsors. Go to audibletrial.com slash closure to get a free month of Audible including a free audiobook and two Audible original audiobooks. And if you like interactive games, go to huntakiller.com slash audio and use promo code CLOSURE at checkout to save 20% on your first box. Now, as always, by using these two sponsors, you support this podcast because all proceeds will go towards spreading the word about Tina. And as I always say, the more eyes that look at this case, the better the chances are that they'll see something that all of us have missed. That's all for this week. Until next time, thank you for listening.